Chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Turn there if you would, please. Umsteads are either sitting in the back because they're backslidden, or they're sitting in the back because they're going to work with the young people, and I think they're going to work with the young people. They're not backslidden. So there you have it. Wow, that was bad, wasn't it? But I did, we, we came back a little bit, so appreciate the Umsteads and everyone else who uh, teaches throughout the year and helps our young people understand truth uh, in in their um, uh, geared for their age and who take time to teach the word of God to them Sunday school teachers and as well those who work in children's church you're in Luke chapter 2 that sounds familiar doesn't it at this time of the year always got to be in Luke chapter 2 at least sometime around Christmas, and we are because last week we had opportunity to introduce you to a statement you've heard many, 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 many times. Every Christmas you've heard it because Luke chapter 2 is read just about every Christmas. But it's a statement made by the angel, and in, as we've told you, in seven words, he presents to us a picture of who Jesus really is. A picture that, quite honestly, most people in this world don't understand, don't comprehend, cannot grasp, and, and, uh, and maybe don't even want to grasp. See, most people have no problem celebrating. They don't mind being off work. They don't mind giving gifts. They don't mind doing all the different uh, things that, uh, if you would, can become traps during Christmas. But most don't want to really consider who Jesus is. And it's important for us to understand clearly that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the Lord. You see, in Luke chapter 2, when the angel came to the shepherds, in seven words, basically in seven words, give us a very good and, I would say, rather complete picture of who this baby was in the manger. In verse 10, it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and here it is, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And in those three descriptive words of Jesus, we have a tremendous picture that all men need to understand, and you need to, if you're going to properly worship Him and honor Him on this, in this Christmas season and on Christmas Day. So let's pray and ask God to help us to understand better uh, one of the truths and one of the points that the angel made in that simple statement. Father, I thank you for the time you've given us to gather together on this Christmas Sunday, uh, the Sunday before we celebrate your birth, and to focus on the reason for your coming and who you are. And I pray that you'd stir uh, our hearts today with the wonderful truth that Jesus is the Savior. Help us to understand it clearly from the Word. And then, Lord God, may we make appropriate application for those that are here without a Savior. May they find Him today. For those who have Him as Savior already and have accepted Him as Savior, may we respond as we ought to the wonderful truth that He came to be our Savior. I just ask you to touch our hearts today and do what I can't do, but your Word can and your Spirit can in the hearts of people, glorify your name, honor yourself, 
and give us the power and help to, to clearly understand your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jessica Lynch was an Army soldier who served in the 2003 invasion of Iraq by the United States and Allied forces. It was on March 23, 2003, where Private First Class Lynch was serving as a unit supply specialist with the 507th Maintenance Company. Convoy was ambushed by Iraqi forces. You probably heard about it because she became a POW. Uh, and uh, she was taken to a hospital to be treated because her injuries were pretty severe. It was while she was in the hospital uh, being held by the Iraqis that Navy SEALs and Army Rangers performed a middle-of-the-night rescue on April 1st, 2003. Uh, according to the records, they fought their way in. They fought their way out to save one person, a 19-year-old prisoner of war. The story drew national attention uh, for a couple reasons. First, it was the first successful rescue of an American prisoner of war since World War II, and it was the first ever of a woman. So she became pretty much a national figure, at least for a little while uh, after that event. Uh, but most people would probably say, well, what's the big deal, and why would you bring that out? Well, I'll tell you, it was a big deal to her. Uh, because she was in a situation she couldn't get out of on her own, and she faced some very uh, serious things, and maybe even possibly death as a result of her capture. And so it was important to her. She couldn't extract, extricate herself from the situation. She couldn't get out, but someone did something for her she couldn't do for herself. You say, well, what does it have to do with the Bible? Well, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily specifically have something to do with the Bible, except for the fact that 2,000 years ago, God embarked on a rescue mission far greater than was done for Jessica. He embarked on a rescue mission to save the entire world, or at least make it available. And he was successful. Thank God for that. He sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came for a reason. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. When the angel came to the shepherds, the night Jesus Christ was born, in those seven words, as we've said, he described three things about Jesus. And the first thing he said was, he is a savior. He's Christ the Lord. And I know we didn't go in order. We ruined the order last week when we preached on Jesus being the Christ. But I wanted to save the first statement the angel made, a savior for this morning, as we look forward to the day, because to me, I think it's a wonderful thing for all those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and those who don't to be challenged the day, the Sunday before Christmas about the fact that Jesus indeed is the Savior of the world. You see, God embarked on a rescue mission when he sent Jesus Christ, and Jesus successfully completed the mission. Now, the whole plan for the rescue, by the way, of, of the world was designed, get this, thousands of years before it, was, before it was ever implemented. 
Now, I'll tell you what, the, the rescue of Jessica probably was just a matter of days. Obviously, it was. She wasn't captured until March 23rd and April 1st. She was, uh, she was um, rescued, all right? So they only had seven days to plan. God had thousands of years. Do you know the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain? God already had in mind that the world would need a Savior before he ever made man. Before he ever created the world, God knew that he would create mankind, that man would, of his own choice, of his own volition, sin against the holy God, disobey his command, and as a result, plunge the entire world in darkness and in sin. And so God designed a plan. After Adam's sin, God didn't say, well, I had no idea that was going to happen. God knew from the very beginning what was going to take place. And God designed a plan, and that plan was implemented, it began, if you will, not in the mind of God, at that, because it was in the mind of God before the world was created, but it began on that day when Jesus was born, physically born into this world, and he began a course that was going to provide for the salvation of the world. And you all rejoice in that today. What a great message we can bring this morning. Jesus is the Savior. Savior is a great word. That's who Jesus is. We describe that Jesus is the Christ, but to me, this part that Jesus is the Savior is, is uh, if you would, a very comforting and a very encouraging message. So how, how can we understand that, and what do we need to know from the Word of God today if we understand Jesus, or if we're going to come to the understanding Jesus is Savior? Well, let me begin with the same thing we began with last week. There's a lot of confusion or maybe even consternation about the fact that Jesus is called the Savior by some. The world in Jesus' day, and in ours today, has no idea Jesus is Savior. They have no problem having a, a, maybe even a major scene out in their yard, but they have no clue that Jesus came to save them from their sins. Take a moment, if you would, turn to John chapter 7. We're going to turn to a few different passages this morning. John chapter 7, we've already expressed the fact that people in Christ's day had no idea who he was. Many, many, many great numbers and multitudes didn't comprehend why he came, who he was, in any way, shape, or form. This is evidenced in many different places, but in John chapter 7, we see it clearly revealed, uh, starting in verse 12, where he says, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Well, why was there murmuring? Well, uh, there were a lot, murmuring for a lot of reasons. He healed people. He did miraculous things, and some were saying he was the Messiah, and people didn't like that. Some were saying that he's, uh, he's uh, someone else, uh, one of the prophets. Uh, we read one of the verses last week that shared that, but in verse 12 it says this. Uh, some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. So he's called a good man in this verse, isn't he? He's called the deceiver. And do you know what? Both far, fall far short of who Jesus was. Now, Jesus was a good man, no doubt about it. But he's far more than just a good man. If he was just a good man, if he was just a, a teacher, if he's just a good example, if he was just a, a good person, that's not enough. And by the way, if that's all you view of Jesus today, you have a wrong understanding of him. When the blind man received his sight, other ideas about Jesus' identity were revealed. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 9. In verse 16, 
Therefore said some of the Pharisees in John 9, 16, this man is not of God. Okay, so he's a good man. He's a deceiver. This man is not of God. Well, uh, what other views could we have? Well, it said this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And was a division among them. Who is Jesus? Good man, deceiver. Um, and then in this passage, he, he's not of God. Well, how can someone who's not of God do, do these miraculous things? They, they gotta be, he's got to be more than that. Look in verse 24. Then, the, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Um, let me tell you something. There's a real problem with him being a savior if he was a sinner. sinner. But he wasn't. Truth is, in biblical times, most people had no clue who Jesus was. They didn't see him as the Savior. They didn't want to see him as the Savior. You say, well, why? Why wouldn't they admit that he was the Savior? Well, actually, there's a number of reasons why there was confusion about him. I think in many cases, people were unwilling to acknowledge him as a Savior. You say, well, well why would they have a problem saying Jesus is Savior? Why would they have a problem admitting that? You know why? Because when you admit that, you admit something about yourself. When you admit someone is a Savior, you are telling someone that they need to be saved. When you admit that someone came for, and the purpose they came was to save the world, as that is often portrayed in the Word of God, well, then someone has, when they acknowledge that he is a Savior, they are acknowledging that someone needs saving. And most people don't like that. Uh, in fact, we're in John chapter 9, aren't we? Look in verse 39, if you will. And uh, Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. It's interesting he said that right after he caused the blind man to see, isn't it? And it says, And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Let me tell you something. They were offended by that. Jesus was saying, in essence, you need to be saved. You people are sinners, and they didn't like that. You're blind. You need sight. If you don't have sight, you're not, you're not going to be part of the family of God. And Jesus said unto them, verse 41, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see. This is powerful. Therefore, your sin remaineth. You know why some people don't want to say Jesus is Savior? Look, because in a beginning, people have, someone has a need. There's another reason why there's confusion about Jesus. A lot of people just don't see their need. So some aren't willing to acknowledge him because they don't want to admit they have a need or that they could possibly have a need and they need to be saved, rescued, what the word means. But some people just don't see their need for a Savior. Have you ever come across someone that says, you know, I, I think I think God uh, will weigh my good and my bad, and if my good overcomes my bad, I'll make it to heaven. You ever hear someone say something like that? When you ask them about, do you know for sure you're headed to heaven, they might say, well, you know, um, I'm not that bad a person. I, I would think God would allow me in. There are a lot of reasons people might give. Uh, someone might think, if I, if I just do enough things, then God will let me in. 
Most every person, religious or not, has some idea about what makes them fit. And to admit there's a Savior is to admit that we're not good enough. That we don't measure up. That we have a need. When, when someone is saved, Jessica wasn't just biding her time waiting to get out and saying, I can take care of this on my own. Jessica, when she was in the hospital, in essence, I would suspect until it actually happened, was saying, I'm here, I'm a prisoner, and there's really little hope unless either I'm able to get this out of this myself or someone does it for me. And most people, when it comes to salvation, don't want to think that someone has to do it for them. I can make it on my own. So the confusion, especially in Christ's day, and by the way, with the Pharisees we just read, was, was I, I, don't, I don't see a need. I, I can see. I'm fine. I have no need at all. So no wonder they wouldn't admit Jesus was the Savior. Because when you don't see a need, you, you don't need a Savior. An evangelist was preaching in Philadelphia years ago, and at the close of the service... A gentleman that was in the, the, the services came up to him and said, I don't li like the way you spoke about the cross. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it would be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher, the example. Well, the evangelist looked at him, and he, said, he asked the question. He said, if I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? The man said, I certainly would. All right, then. The preacher said, let's take the first step. Jesus did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man looked at him, confused, a little bit surprised, and he said, why no? I can't say I haven't sinned. I can't say I don't sin. And the preacher said, then your greatest need is a savior, not a teacher or example. Most people just don't see that they have a need. Look, Jesus was a great Jesus was a great teacher, but what the world needs is a savior. And that's who Jesus is. You know another reason why people are confused about it? A lot of people have their own ideas about salvation. And by the way, that is clearly presented in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when Peter and John had opportunity to present after a, a lame man was healed, to present the gospel to numerous people who had gathered together. Actually, this was uh, after they had been, been taken and, and held overnight and had opportunity to speak to the religious leaders. And Peter made this statement, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Look, we, we need a savior and there is only one savior there is not multitudes of saviors there's not many ways to be saved there's only one way to be saved and the bible is clear about that fact but most people have their own ideas right i, I said that i've had people give me numerous ways that they thought they were going to be in heaven in fact uh, just a, a couple weeks ago as we had opportunity while we were away we had an opportunity to speak to a waitress who was at our, our table, who had some 
uh, medical concerns that uh, we had actually asked if there was something we could pray for. She mentioned those things. And when the conversation got into the matter of religious things about salvation and, and being saved, she made the comment uh, to us that, uh, well, you know, I, I was baptized at such and such a church. A lot of people who go to church think they're saved because of what they've done. But friends, we need a Savior. We need someone to rescue us because we can't rescue ourselves. It's not just baptism that doesn't work to save someone. Church membership doesn't work to save someone. Nothing can save a person. Every individual in this world needs to be saved because everyone in this world is a sinner. And so the confusion about Jesus came because, and comes because, well, many people have their own ways, their own ideas. The Catholic Church tells you if you practice sacraments. The Church of Christ has a list of things. Someone's just mentioning that today, and I've seen many times a list of numerous things that you've got to do in order to be saved. Uh, but, but Jesus is the Savior, and that's why he came. And the angel, before Jesus ever spoke a word, he was a baby in a manger. Uh, the angel told them clearly, this is who he is. He is the Savior. Now, there's another reason why there's confusion. It's because a lot of times people are unwilling to accept the Savior. John chapter 5. We're trying to stay right in the same area for you. John chapter 5. And it's speaking to the religious people again of his day, the Jewish religious leaders. He said this in verse 39, Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. Jesus said something very important at the end of that verse. He said, and they are they which testify of me. Old Testament scriptures, Jesus is saying, they all talk about me coming. In essence, he was saying, I'm the Messiah, by the way. He didn't say it in those words, but he said it in the statement. They all talk about a day when the Messiah would come, that he would provide a way of salvation. Isaiah 53 talked about that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the him? Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. That was what the scripture said. And notice what it, said in verse, it says in verse 40 then. And this is kind of damning of the religious people of Christ's day. And it's damning of people today. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. See, the reason why people don't want to say Jesus is Savior. Or they may say those words, but they have no idea what they mean. Or they don't really, they're not willing to accept the real statement and what it means. One of the reasons why is because they don't want it. I'm good enough, I can make it on my own, whatever, I have my own reasons. Some people just don't want to accept it. Well, I know he's the Savior, and I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I need help, but people have their own reasons. They had their own reasons in Christ's day. Isn't it interesting to see people who weren't willing to accept him as the Savior? You remember the rich young ruler came to him? Uh, Jesus is trying to present the fact you need a Savior. And the man wasn't willing. 
You know, God offers salvation to all men. Men have to be willing to accept. And that's part of the problem. So then, how do we know that Jesus is the Savior? Well, that's what the Bible declares. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. The angel declared it to the shepherds. And it's interesting, though, it wasn't just on the day of his birth, but before his birth, we are told that Jesus is coming to be the Savior, that that is indeed his work. In fact, we could go back, as we just did, to the Old Testament. Isaiah numerous times talks about this, and we may make mention of it later on. But Isaiah many times talk about the fact that he was the Savior, but his name itself, Jesus, declares he came to be the Savior. Look at Matthew 121. Um, Joseph, by the way, was thinking about putting his wife away uh, because she was pregnant. And he didn't know the reason why, and he didn't understand what was going on. And it says in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, is his name significant? There are, by the way, some others in the Bible that are called Jesus. His name is very significant. Old Testament especially, even in New Testament times around this time, names were very significant. They meant something. <laughs> today, today, I, you know, today, like, we won't talk about names. There's some crazy names out there, aren't there? Uh, it's just amazing what people do with names. And I have no idea sometimes. I think they pull them out of a hat or I don't know. I don't even know if they're in books sometimes when you try to uh, you know, pronounce someone's name or spell someone's name. But anyway, that's another subject for another time. Names are crazy in our day, but in Jesus' day and throughout the Old Testament, when someone was given a name, it was very significant. And many times it had something to do with their life. The name of Jesus in the Hebrew, the, the old, if you would say the Old Testament name was Joshua. And do you know what that means? It means Jehovah is salvation. So it wasn't just that he was called the Savior. His name meant he was the Savior. When he was called Jesus by the, by the, uh, by the angel, when he, Joseph was told, you're going to name him Jesus, there was a reason why. Because in Jehovah is Salvation. And so every time, whether they admit it or not, every time they said the name of Jesus, they were saying, you are the Savior. Jehovah is salvation. And certainly Jesus Christ was that. His name declared it. His birth confirmed that very fact. By the way, if Jesus were a sinner, as the Pharisees claim, he's not the Savior. Because the Savior saves people from sin. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. There's a reason why he didn't come to condemn the world the first time. is because the world is already condemned. In fact, if you look in John 3.36, the verses around which we're quoting... In John 3.36, the Bible says that man, that man is already under wrath, already punished. He's already deserving of and already headed toward a Christless eternity because he is indeed a sinner. And the wrath of God abides on that man. And Jesus Christ came and his birth came and his purpose in coming 
was to fulfill and take care of the need that men have because of sin. And if he's a sinner, he's not the Savior. And that's why I love what we find throughout the Gospels about Jesus Christ. Go over now to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Luke chapter 1. Not only did his name mean it, but in Luke chapter 1, we see something else that's very important to Jesus Christ and his being the Savior. In Luke 1, verse 26, we read, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to, and this is important, a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I know that Bible scholars want to twist the Old Testament passage and say, A woman shall conceive and bear a son. But when Isaiah the prophet wrote, about an event come down the road. It wasn't just a woman that would conceive. It was a virgin he was talking about. There's a reason why that's important. The truth of the matter is everyone born into this world is born in sin because Adam sinned. And Romans 5 talks about this. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And the reason he talks about it that way in Romans 5 is that sin in Adam is passed on through every generation. And it's passed on through the seed of men. And it was important for Jesus to be virgin born. Otherwise, he was a sinner, like the Pharisees said. But he wasn't. He was sinless. Because he didn't have that sin nature passed on through every man. He was the pure, spotless Lamb of God. And therefore, he could take care of the sins of the world. See, he's the Savior. His miraculous birth of a virgin proves that very fact and reminds us of that fact that he could indeed be the Savior because he would be the only one ever in this world who wasn't born with a sin nature. And therefore, he could be the Savior. His name declares it. His birth confirms it. His words profess it. In Matthew 18, 11, the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. We've already mentioned Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus spoke with a religious ruler on John 3, we already quoted verse 16, John 3, 17 says, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And throughout the entire rest of the Bible, the message of all the apostles, of all the disciples of Jesus Christ has been the same. Jesus is indeed the Savior. His followers believed it. As we've mentioned, John said, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Peter preached, neither is there salvation in any other. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all's acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I think that's a great truth, isn't it? It's because if the chiefest of sinners can be saved, then anyone can be saved. And so salvation is offered to all men, and it's offered to all men freely. And his followers believed it, and they preached that message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the message of the Bible. It's the message of the New Testament. By the way, it's the message of the Old Testament, the message looking forward to the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, and his death and resurrection completed it. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ 
died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He completed what was necessary. He is the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. A Sergeant Ross Corbett uh, told this story. He said, this morning I heard a story on the radio of a woman who was out Christmas shopping with her two children. He said, after many hours of looking at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable, and after hours of hearing both her children ask for everything they saw on those shelves, she finally made it to the elevator with her kids, and she was feeling what so many of us feel during the holiday season and at that time, that time in the year, overwhelming pressure. Everything was coming down on her. The pressure to go to every party, the pressure to go to every every gathering, to, the pressure to meet with family, the pressure to get all these gifts, the pressure to do everything else that's going on, to finish the shopping list. And she was just, she just had enough. And finally the elevator opened. There was already a crowd inside. She pushed her way in. She pulled her kids in with the packages. They just made it inside. When the doors closed, she couldn't take it anymore. And she said, Whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. Someone standing in the back corner responded in a quiet, calm voice, Don't worry, we already crucified him. And for the rest of the trip down, the elevator was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. He was crucified. He was buried, he rose again, and he completed what was required for him to be the Savior. And he is. And the angel was able to tell the shepherds on that day, I want you to know there's a Savior. He's Christ, the Lord. So we have the firm truth of Scripture before us. What should we do with it? Say, oh, I've already taken care of that. Okay, maybe you haven't. First thing would be to receive it. To receive it. To receive it to yourself. But as many as received him, to them gave he power of God, even to them that believe on his name. Look, if you're going to say Jesus is Savior, if you're going to acknowledge that this morning, then the, the first thing that needs to happen, the only thing that really ought to happen, is that you come to the realization, I'm the one who needs a Savior. And since I'm the one who needs a Savior because I am a sinner, just as all men would have to admit and say, then the answer is to turn to Him and look to Him and accept Him as the Savior. To say, Lord, I indeed believe that you came to be the Savior for my sin and that you accomplished that work when you died, when you were buried, when you rose again the third day. And the Bible says that if anyone will, will call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. And so today, the first thing for anyone to do in this room, and I don't want to assume everyone has, but the first thing to do is to receive it. He is the Savior. Now, whether you admit it or not, that's, that's up to you. Can't force anyone to do that, but he is the Savior of the world. And the first response ought to be, I'm going to receive the gift of eternal life that he offers. The wages of sin is death, you know, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life, and it comes through Jesus Christ. And God gave the greatest gift. We always talk about that at Christmas, don't we? 
He gave the greatest gift when he gave his son to be the Savior, to provide a way to take care of your sin, but you have to be willing to receive it, to call upon him, to accept it, um, to take him at his word. A preacher was telling a story about the words of the Savior in Luke chapter 2 and verse, the, the angel, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. And he said it this way it was Christmas time, and my two year old boy, Timmy, was sitting on his, his um, aunt's lap, aunt's lap, whichever part of the country you're from. <clears throat> Just got that mixed, mixed up because it's my Auntie Karen, but I have aunts on the other side. So. I just got myself in trouble. So whatever. Anyway, um, Timmy's relative, <clears throat> okay, um, Aunt Gail uh, had him on her lap, and he was ready to get down. So she said, uh, she gave him her usual requirement. She said, you can't get down until you say the magic words. The preacher said, in case you've forgotten, the magic words are pretty please with sugar on top. Except for this time, because Timmy turned to her and simply replied, Unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, the preacher said, those really are magic words. Um, they truly are. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He said, you know, there's some important words there. You say, a Savior? Yes. Christ, yes. Lord, yes. But there's some other important words. Unto you. The angel could say to the shepherds, unto you. To you people. To you people this morning. A Savior is born. And do you realize that this morning we have the privilege of telling every human being in this world the same thing? Unto you. A Savior is born. Unto you. That's right. To you. And, and to you. Uh-huh. And to you. And you. And, and you, back there. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Personal, isn't it? It was for you. You can sit in church your whole life and miss making Jesus personal for you. You can know all about him. You can know these terms that the angel used. You can even admit them, but if you don't accept it for yourself, you don't have it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But as many as received him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Salvation is in Jesus because he's the Savior, the only Savior. And you have to receive it. But it was unto you he came. And it's unto you the offer is made. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. 
For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord for all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. First, most important, only thing you can do if you're here and you've never done it before is receive the fact that Jesus is Savior to yourself. Unto you, a Savior is born. But the second truth is equally important for those who are part of the family of God, at least. And that is, reveal it or share it. Look, look, if, if it's unto you, and that was to the shepherds and it's to anyone, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, and they can't hear without a preacher, then people need preachers. And, then, and we're not talking about ones who stand in the pulpit, although people need those preachers too. People need folks to proclaim. A preacher is a proclaimer, or should be, of the truth of the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? Someone, a messenger, someone to go. A lot of people don't accept him because they don't know him. They don't know they have a need. They don't know he can meet the need. They don't understand that he is truly the Savior, and they won't understand unless someone tells them. You know, one of the greatest things that could happen this Christmas is you have an opportunity to share with a relative or a friend or someone you come in contact with the fact that Jesus really is the Savior. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't it? But here's the truth. Can't we get so caught up in all the things we got to do that we're freaking that there are people who need to hear? Seriously. Seriously. We can be so worried about Christmas dinner, so worried about how many relatives we're going to have over the house, and all the other things that we have going on and the, the things we got to get to. And I got to be here and I got to be there, and, and we don't see that the reason for Christmas is so that the Savior could save. And we're the ones that have the message. God doesn't use angels anymore. That actually was very unique. There's probably two times in the Bible where an angel actually kind of gives a message that could save someone. Every other time, God sent people when Cornelius needed to hear, an angel was sent to Cornelius to say, send and get some people to come tell you about Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? Why didn't the angel just say, a Savior is born, Christ the Lord, you can be saved, Cornelius. Why didn't he do that? Here's the reason why. It's because God uses people. Because God gave the Great Commission to those who have been saved. And he says, Go. And this Christmas, if we really believe Jesus is Savior, then we ought to be willing to tell people that he is. So receive it or reveal it, whatever the case may be. The third thing is respond to it. Take a moment, if you would, Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There are many passages we could bring up this morning that I hope will challenge us 
when we think about Jesus being the Savior, but to me, this is probably one of the greatest. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're challenged about the fact that, um, that Jesus came and that he was the Savior, and we're challenged about his love, and we're challenged about what should happen as a result. Look in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. It should. The, the love of Christ should pull at our heartstrings today. It really should. There should be some emotion in this. It should just pull every believer in this morning and constrain us. Oh, well, how does it constrain us? Because we thus judge. Because we, we think, all right? Use your mind. If one died for all, then we're all dead. We're all dead in trespasses and sins. We had no hope. There was nothing we could do. Someone had to make us alive. And there's only one person who could do that because only one person is the Savior, Jesus. So he says the love of Christ constrains us because we use our head. This isn't just some emotional feeling that has overwhelmed us because some preacher had a great illustration. But we realized, we realized, I'm the sinner. Christ was the Savior, and he saved me. Isn't that a great thing? All right, so what's the answer to that? That he and okay, and that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him, unto him which died for them and rose again. You know what the response should be this morning to everyone in this room who's part of the family of God? I think most everyone would profess that. Now, if you've never received it, you've got to go back there. But if you've received it, then your response should be to live in light of it. God, you saved me. I was dead. And you gave me life. So I'm not going to live for myself. I cannot think of any better gift for you to give anyone this Christmas than to give God your life. No better gift. You, you could spend all sorts of money giving people the, the perfect gift that they have always wanted. But if you don't give God your life, you're robbing him from what is rightfully his. What he, out of love, bought. He purchased your salvation by his death. And the love of Christ should constrain you to say, I'm not going to live for me. I'm going to live for him. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In those, that one phrase, those seven words, the angel told us what we need to know about Jesus. And today we had the privilege this morning to consider him as Savior. What do you need to do because he's Savior? Receive him? Reveal him, share him, or respond by saying, God, my life is yours.
All three. Or what you have to make a decision on what you're going to do about. Aspire heads and close your eyes. Let me ask you a couple questions.